You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 30 to Curtain, our new podcast from the Center Theatre Group. As one of the country's most influential nonprofit theatre companies, we produce and present the work of most of the leading theatre artists of our time. We do this across all three of our stages, the Amundsen Theatre, the Mark Tabor Forum, and the Kirk Douglas Theatre, as well as in educational, outreach, and community programs. I'm Michael Ritchie, Artistic Director of the Center Theatre Group. For each episode of this podcast, I'll talk with some of these talented artists from both on and off the stage so that you can learn a bit more about them, their process, and their work before arriving at the theatre. I hope this podcast helps to further enhance your experience, whether you are a first-time patron or a long-standing supporter. Our first guest on 30 to Curtain is playwright Dominique Morisseau. Dominique wrote the book for Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, on stage at the Amundsen Theater, August 21st to September 30th, 2018, before it heads to Broadway. She's a playwright who has been a member of our LA Writers Workshop, which is one of our artistic development programs that supports local artists. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and we look forward to seeing you at the theater. Dominic, first, congratulations on the opening of uh, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of uh, the Temptations. Thank uh, you. It was quite a night, wasn't it? Yeah, man. It yeah. was really awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it was a lot of good people. Everybody was really jazzed. I haven't quite seen it. I haven't quite had an opening like that. I have to say, neither have I. And uh, I don't know all the elements that go into it because there was a great generosity of spirit from the audience that's walking right. in. That's right. I think there were high expectations. Yeah, that's right. And then when I think the expectations get met mm-hmm. collectively, there's a reaction that was pretty stupendous yeah. um, throughout the show, but particularly at the end at the call. I've, I've rarely yeah. seen anything like that. So I imagine for you sitting there, um, it must have been just waves washing over you. Yeah, of pride for the team, really. Um, I really like watching those guys and women on stage 
get their glory. They kind of really deserve it. They just give 150% to this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I feel, when that happens, I feel like, ah, like, I feel like we made a promise to them. That, that was exciting. Now, there's going to be a level of satisfaction that comes with that, uh, I guess, of uh, realizing all the work that had gone into it before then was yeah. paying off for everybody that was involved. Yes, that's right. right. That's what it is. Because I always feel, I mean, I think I just, I might take this on too much as an artist. Um, and I think it's also because I come from acting and right. I come from, you know, uh, participating in other uh, parts of the field, you know. And uh, so I really, I take on the burden right. of, of making sure that everybody's um, feels fulfilled in the process. You know, that it's going to be that this is like belief work. Right. That we're not just, this is not just a gig or right. a job, you know, that this is going to be like, it's going to fulfill your life right now. Okay, well, no, that's, that's fascinating. That's a heavy calling, but no, no, I, you know. No, that's actually fascinating. So I know you started out uh, or, or early on as an actress, and I, I, I hope that's something that you still do or uh, will is. pursue. It is. Uh, but what spurred the writing? At what point did you feel like you wanted to put stories down on the page? Well, I always wanted to put stories on the page since I was a kid. I mean, I grew up reading, and my mother was a teacher, and she used to read me stories every night, and uh, and I really, I, and she read me poetry every night, and I just, I became a writer, you know, really young. But uh, what made me want to be a playwright was different. When I wanted to, I always wanted to be, as a kid, an actor and a writer, but I thought it was like, I'm going to act in movies and on, in plays, and then I'm going to go write novels. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't know how they met yet. I didn't really understand that connection. Uh, when I was in college, and there was, a, I was studying theater as a performer, and there just was not, we were not studying a lot of diverse writers, or any really, um, in our major curriculum. And then the writers that were getting produced on our main stages, maybe there'd be one a year uh, of color, and I was really rele- relegated to like side roles or back roles, and, and so I just, I personally was not feeling fulfilled. So I wanted to write for myself and the two other African-American women in our department at the time, yeah, um, so that we could sort of have something that rep- reflected our cultural canon. Right. Um, that's where it started for me. I, what happened in response to that was something I could not have imagined, you know, kind of like that, that opening night right. thing, where just the way that the student body responded to the work sort of told me, oh man, no, I got to keep, di- I got to keep doing this. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they really yeah. came out in grows and, right. um, and, and they were not really, most of the student body was not supporting work in the theater department. So when this happened, it was like, we, we had a whole, like, bevy of folks just coming um, from all walks of student life to come see the show. And so that made me realize, like, I'm, I'm feeling a voice somewhere that people are hungry to hear. Right. And I need to keep doing that. And, and as, as some of it, um, certainly some of your plays, the, the, well, you're from Detroit. You've written a Detroit trilogy of mm-hmm. plays. Um, I have to imagine that some of that is um, distinct memories. Some mm-hmm. of it is imaginations, desires for what could have been or what should be or what will be coming. So when, when you sit down to write a play, that is a fictional story. Mm. Uh, what is 
where do you begin from? Is the inspiration a character? Is it an idea? Is it something that is socio-political? Or is it just the craftsmanship that comes with doing something over and over that you sit down and start writing and the story comes? Oh, no. <laughs> the, 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 I, whatever it is, I know it's not the craftsmanship thing. Right. <laughs> um, I definitely... Uh, I think a lot about things in the world, and I and when something keeps itching me, then I know I want to write about it. But I don't. I never necessarily know where I'm going to start. Sometimes I do, you know. Um, with uh, my Detroit cycle, I, it, it came to me as three plays about Detroit. That's what I want to do. I like the number three. I always have. Mm -hmm. I'm born in March, so I'm a three girl. Uh, I'm 313. That's my birthday. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also the area code for Detroit, so I'm very Detroit. Uh, but I also... Um, I, I knew that there were three particular eras that I wanted to, to tell stories in. I was like, okay, I heard about Paradise Valley, like, you know, so many elders talk about that. I don't know anything about that. That seems like a fun era to play around in, and something major happened in that era. I want to talk about, I want to look at these major eras and see that. So I knew the macro. Like right. these major eras where change happened in our city. And then when it starts to get trickled down to like very specific, I go, okay, I know the era or I know the, the world I want to explore. Now I need to figure out where, what's the set or what's the place, what's the location, what's the, who do I want to tell this story on the skin of? Like, right. you know? Right. Um, and so then I, I go, okay, if I'm doing Paradise Valley, there was all these like clubs and nightclubs and jazz spots. And we know Detroit for Motown, but we don't know mm -hmm. for jazz. Right. I want to go into the world of jazz. I'm going to a jazz club. And, that, and then the people come to me. Okay. You know, but I know like, oh, I know where I want to go. I want to go into the factory. Right. These are going to be workers. I think they have to be multiple kind of workers, you know. Or we're going to go, I think for Detroit 67, it was really interesting because I go, they were in the 60s, there was all these red light parties and, mm -hmm. you know, Motown is obviously the setting. I'm like, where can I hear Motown and get the setting of a red light party and deal with the Detroit, okay. you know, um, the Detroit riots, you know. And, and it was like, oh, they raid these parties, right. you know, in the 60s. So this is a great way I can put that kind of world on stage. So starting from the outside working. Yeah. Yeah, working in, but then in a case like that of um, Detroit 67, mm -hmm. uh, how much research do you want to do or do do to be, do you want to be um, accurate yeah. when you sit down to write a play? I, I do want to be, I do want to be accurate. Not everyone around me wants me to be as accurate as I want to be. Um, even with the making of this musical <laughs> with Auntie Proud, I want to be way more specific, you know, I want to be way more truthful um, to events in time. But as I'm writing, I, I realize, you know, that sometimes the, the truth, the facts get in the way of the truth, I say. Uh -huh. You know, um, uh -huh. because yeah. facts will make me a slave to this day and this moment, but I won't actually get underneath it and get to, like, what the heart of that moment was really about. And so for me, even with working on Ain't Too Proud, with working on all my stories now, I always, I've, I've developed the mantra, I am, I am not a slave to the 
fact from a slave to the truth. And those aren't necessarily hand-to-hand. So with something like Detroit 67, I go, well, this is what the spirit was at the time. I'm going to have to play with it a little bit so I can capture the truth of of what was going on at the time. I'm going to have to play with the facts in order to to, to fully get the story out. And I think the same thing with this, uh, with working on this musical. It was like, well, okay, maybe it happened, really happened on a Tuesday, but Tuesday doesn't work for our story. So we're going to put it on Friday, (laughs) you know, and make it all happen on the same day so it it can hit at the same time. We can feel that emotion. And then we can go back and and freaking Wikipedia (laughs) and go, oh, that wasn't that, you know. And then, but you go, but it really was the spirit. And that's the thing that, that's my job. Well, I think you did it incredibly well uh, in that there is a journalistic story to tell um, about the temptations, where they started from, who they were, where they went, that is somewhat documented. Um, You certainly had a um, reference material that you were working from. uh, And was that new for you to have sort of a story laid out in front of you and you were adapting it, you were delivering it, you were massaging it in some way to create the theatrical event? Um, m- maybe. I mean, I feel like on some level, I feel like all the stories that I've told um, always come from something else. Right. Maybe not like someone's like exactly written story, but it might come from like an event that this happened like this, and mm-hmm. these were the spirit. And I can take moments of that and, and incorporate it into my own fiction. Mm-hmm. I think with this, because it is really, I am really focusing on one man's vantage point of his life. Um, having a biography to read really helped me right, right. to do that, and, and being able to talk to that living man. Right himself, right. you know, uh, because then I could, I could build it on his skin, honestly, um, as opposed to just trying to string together uh, different versions of people's right. memories and facts. Right. Yeah, yeah, which, which could be very complicated. Yeah. And in some ways, if everybody's perspective is their own story, their own truth right. of, what, of, of what happened. So there is some clarity um, and also not only did Otis write the book that you were using as a reference point, he created the story uh, of The Temptation. So to have a source like that, what was it like walking walking in the room the first time, knowing you were going to meet him? Okay, what was it like? Oh, man. Like a little kid? Yes! (laughs) I mean, even more so a little kid because I feel like I'm meeting my mommy and daddy's hero. I know, right? Like, oh my God, like, right. this is like if my kids came along and met, like, I, well, actually, Stevie Wonder is one of my heroes, right. so you know what I mean? So it's like me meeting Stevie. Right. But, but it's also like yeah. if my kids came along yeah. and met, like Lauren Hill or something, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh my God, like, you're getting a personal relationship with somebody that I grew up on loving. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I felt that, and I also felt like, I gotta earn this man's trust in like five minutes. Right, I know. Right, like in five you're gonna minutes. T- you're gonna t- tell you're gonna take his story and you're gonna tell it to a really wide a audience. A really wide audience. Right? I gotta right. get this man to trust me in five minutes. Uh, when you walked out, well, clearly you succeeded. But <laughs> when you walked out. 
who did you call? Who did you write to? Did you, was it one of those moments where you're like, yeah. I got to tell you, I got to tell you. Guess what I just did? Well, you know, funny enough, Daz and I, Daz McEnough, the director and I, we just, we have a different recollection of some things that happened early on. Um, but we both remember leaving the first encounter with, uh, with Otis Williams and Shelly Berger. And like, they gave us a lot of fun stories, but I remember leaving them feeling like we walked out of, it was at Otis's home. Um, and when we left Otis's home, we both looked at each other like, I don't think we have a play yet. <laughs> I don't think this is gonna, I don't have it. Whatever I'm supposed to write, I don't have it yet. You know what I mean? I, I have a bunch of fun stories, but I don't have like, I don't have the glue, I don't have the soul. I don't have the soul because he, you know, maybe didn't necessarily trust me yet. You know, liked me. You know, I was cool enough, but he didn't like, you know, it wasn't like he's about to tell me his big dark secrets per se. And, um, or be emotionally vulnerable with me. And it was the second, it was the second meeting that we were like, okay. And now I know where this, I know where his soul lives. You know, um, and then that time I called my mother like, "Oh my God, <laughs> I I think I made all this upset. <laughs> like, I think I got him upset, you know, because we got emotionally vulnerable right. in that that conversation. I was like, "Oh Lord, yeah. I'm gonna be real in trouble here if <laughs> with my mama yeah. and my daddy if I if I somehow blow this." So well, anyway, no, well, well, that's yeah. nice to know that you know you you were able to, to to gain his trust, and I think it comes through in in the piece itself which I find fascinating from um, a, a, a narrative perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the structure of it is you are dealing with something that is somewhat journalistic, mm-hmm. a story mm-hmm. that is being told that we know happened over a period of time. Uh, you are doing some interpretations of it. Uh, you're telling it from one person's point of view. You're theatricalizing it. Mm-hmm. And then imposed upon all of that is this incredible music that lives inside virtually everyone alive today. Yeah. That music is, I'm, uh, I, you know, I, I grew up in the, 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 I was born in the late 50s, 60s, 70s. Anyone that's 20 or 30 years older than me, it was their music as well. Mm-hmm. Anyone 20 or 30 years older than me, it's still there and still yeah. reaching them, which I, I, I find so powerful. But then, after you have all those stories that you have in the basic stories, then you've got to deal with the music. Yeah. Are you using that to, to tell the story journalistically, just having the Temptations perform the songs? Do they become underscoring to the greater themes that are in the story? Do, they, do you have to use the music in the order that it was recorded as you're moving forward? So how do you deal? Yeah. That's a whole different level yeah, whole that was thing. new to you. Yeah. How did you have that conversation the first time? Did you, you know, know what to ask? That was with Dez. That right. was with Dez and I, and we sat at his house. And while we were there, you know, we just, we went through like what would be like approved songs from the catalog. And we started listening to all the approved songs. You know, we're like, okay, I like this one because of this. Or, you know, this is my song right here. Or this really has a great thematic, you know, we could really change the meaning of this one, you know. Um, and so we did that. And as we went through it, you know, we, I had strong ideas for how I felt like certain songs could be used. And I was like, this is gonna go out of order. Cause I, that was my concern. Like, oh, Oh, man, do I got to stay in chronological order? That's not going to be thematically right. interesting for me. And also, um, but amazingly, their catalog is so amazing. Like, it may not be like 64, 65, 66, that, that clean, but it 
is like the era stayed true to the t you know right. to the story right. really, and so we could really you know build that story on the skin of build the music on the skin of like this is sort of where we were in the world when this music was being right. made, you know, and the and the, the 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 things that they were singing about how that would change throughout time when the world was becoming more political. It, it just naturally tells its own story. Right. Like the mu their music tells its own chronological story right. in a way that's really exciting. And so then for if we could do that, we could also make it performative, but mm. make performative be necessary to the story so it's not just a, a musical review. Right. And then it was like, and how do we flip some of the meaning of these songs? And for me, I was, I got very jazzed on several ways. I mean, I remember we were doing Runaway Child. We would listen to that, and Des didn't, was like, this, I don't know about this one. You know, like, wasn't sure we could find a place for it. And I was like, wait, you know, but doesn't, doesn't his story begin with this, you know? And so we kind of, we got jazzed on that kind of stuff. Or for Cloud Nine, I remember how we, you know, just the multiple meanings of how we could use some of these songs. Ball of Confusion, for me, is one of my favorites of how we use, but Ball of Confusion, and uh, I'm losing you, ball of confusion, and I wish it would rain. Those are my three that I was really excited about how we how we found ways to add like ten meanings into those songs. Uh, what's the full title of the show? Uh, the full title of the show is "Ain't Too Proud: The Life and Times of the Temptations." Okay. Now, did you have anything to do with creating the title? Yes. Okay. Yes, lots. <laughs> and then let me ask you because this is something that for me was a nice gut punch mm -hmm. in sitting down to see the show. Um, it's not about, or it's not just about, the life of the Temptations. It's about the times they lived in. Mm -hmm. And you are able to take what is an entertaining story that one can tell about this group, even with the ups and downs that they have, but um, put a foundation under it of the time. So you set out to do that very thing. If you, if you were creating that title, whether it came before you had written a word or after you had written a word, that was your intention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely our intention <clears throat> to capture what we would call the macro and the micro of, the, of this group coming into their legend. You know, and for me, it, personally, as an artist, and I think I appreciated about uh, Dez and I working together was I was very, you know, my thing was always, now you've read my work, you know what I do, so you can, you must want me to do what I do. And I just, I can't tell a story that doesn't have gravitas or that doesn't have, you know, some greater way of connecting to the social, sociopolitical narrative of the world. Um, that's just how I think, and that's just, it's sort of unavoidable for me as an artist, and and that's pretty much what I want to be doing, and uh, and Des was really on board with that too, and so then our producers were excited about that, and I, that was what was most um, rewarding for me working on this was how much we get to keep digging into making this a story not just about then but about now. Right how much we can reflect and be a mirror for society and how much we can like really question some, I think things that artists are still, and, and, and people are still wrestling with um, right now mm. and, and really seeking some, you know, some context for. And I think mm. this story helps to give context. I think it really does. For me, I'm, look, I'm happy going to the theater and having an entertaining evening. It's yeah. for, for me, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, at, at times. 
those two hours in the dark are a relief from yes. other things that are going on in our lives. So there's nothing to be ashamed of entertaining people, but um, if you can entertain them and perhaps educate them at the same time or, or, or even at its best enlighten them about something, about themselves hopefully, about the way they, they look at things. You know that that can be life changing, long term or even for a short period of time. And I think you and the rest of the, the team, a major team that have put this together, have captured that and deliver that to to an audience. So you're playing here in Los Angeles right now. You've played in Berkeley. You've yeah. played in D.C. Yeah. Uh, any differences in the audiences, or any difference in you were working? You know, in Berkeley, you were opening it up. You yeah. had different things to deal with yourself. So I don't know yeah. how much you were paying attention to the audience, but is this capturing <clears throat> people? Man, I think you know. I speak not just for myself, but for my team. LA is sort of blowing our minds right now. I have to be honest. I didn't expect this kind of enthusiasm, you know, from Los Angeles. I just figured, you know, in these performing cities, everybody's too cool. Do you know what I mean? Because we all do this, so we're very uneasily impressed with each other, right. you know? <laughs> and it's just it's a drag sometimes. Yeah. But it is, it is very, it, I have to say, it is, it, I, it, they have defied my expectation of audience. I thought that, you know, other cities might have been a little more appreciative. Yeah. This one is taking the cake right, right. now. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just the, I think it is because this is such a time of like an industry of art and, and, and story that there's actually a great appreciation yeah. for the gifts and the talents um, involved in this project. Uh, I, I think there's a, that has a large part to do with it. It's, as I said to you before, I've, it's that opening night and other nights yeah. uh, as well. Uh, the reaction has been so consistent and so strong. Um, I've been impressed with the LA audience since I got here. I was in New York for almost 20 years before I moved out here, and I had some questions, if not concerns, about what the LA audience was. Mm -hmm. What I found out uh, was that there is a very knowledgeable audience here, and there isn't yes. a casual audience here. There aren't any tourists, there aren't yeah. people that are killing a night. If someone's going to the theater here, they've made a definite choice, That's right. and it takes real effort. And they want to do it. I mean, they want to fight that traffic and get They're here. They're going to spend whatever time it takes to get here to do all of those things. Yes. And if you deliver for them, yeah. and their standards are high, but if you deliver for them, uh, they react. Yeah. Um, while you were here, just before we opened, it was announced that the show was going to Broadway. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. The Imperial Theater, which I think is the perfect theater for this oh, show. Oh, so very One awesome. of the most notable houses yeah, on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think any dates are set yet, but I do know that it's on its way in. Yeah. Obviously exciting, but let me ask you this. Between now and then, do you want to go back into the body of the show and make changes to work? Are there things that you're, you've already decided or mulling or willing to open yourself up to? When does the process yeah. end? When do you start? Oh, I think it'll probably... When do you give birth? Yeah, when, when do you, actually when do you give, birth? give birth? I mean, listen, for other plays, long before the, yeah. this, <laughs> this moment yeah. here, long before Broadway, yeah. Yeah. But I think every time you're about to open something on Broadway, I would imagine everybody's got to go back in because yeah. um, that's going to really define your show. Right, and for the rest of the world, like that will be the one. So absolutely, we're, I absolutely am going to go back in, and I 
know we all are. You know, Adez and I have already started talking. Like, you know, I, I watch the show. Every time I watch the show, I go, oh, okay, I'm not going to mess them up right now, but I really could do something with that. You know? <laughs> I was like, and I did. We did throw through what I love about my cast. We threw something at the right before we opened here. I was like, I, sometimes I have like an epiphany in the middle of the night. Do you know what I mean? I, I wake up like Dez. We got to change this line. You know? And, uh, and I'll go... You know, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I text the guys like, listen, you're about to get some new stuff. If you need to know anything, call me, you know. Oh, I know that because <laughs> the night before we opened, I came backstage to see you. And you and Des were sitting in the green room. And I stood outside the green room for about 15 minutes you? while you guys well, we were talking notes. What we're notes were, I know. And I thought, wow, okay, those guys are working. Yeah, this working. Is like, they're so paying intense. attention. We no, it so impressed intense. me. It impressed me a lot. I felt like I had to move. My feet were going to sleep yes. standing so. And the guys handled it with like yeah. such expertise, but they were telling me afterwards, I was like, you guys, that looked like it was easy. And they all looked at me like, no. <laughs> <laughs> they was like, we were sweating bullets until the show started. Yeah, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You made it look very easy. Yeah. <laughs> you made it. Good. I was like, oh, I'll just do another one. You guys got yeah. that. They got it. <laughs> uh, your life as a writer uh, is, you've made a choice. Some of it is behind closed doors alone. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it is collaborative. Um, this obviously is a major collaboration when you're working on a musical, uh, more than writing a play or delivering a play to an audience. Um, but you also have peers uh, mm -hmm. th that are writers, playwrights or screenwriters. Um, do you have a way of keeping in touch with your peers? Do you, is there a, a, a way that you're, you're helping each other navigate these waters? Because I, I can imagine being a writer can be a lonely venture uh -huh. when you're uh -huh. when you're first starting. How, how do you? How? I feel like I come from a, a strong and, and ever-expanding village of, of playwrights right. and artists. I love playwrights. And being out here in L.A., you know, I think I had mentioned this to you before, but being a part of the, the writers group here, um, the Center Theater Group writers group had allowed me to get back in conversation with playwrights, you know, in a way that I hadn't been since I've been in L.A. <clears throat> and that just always restores me, always. I, you know, there's uh, the Lark, the Lark Play Development Center in New York. They have, you know, sometimes they come out here and they gather the playwrights in L.A. out here. Lark L.A., I really want this to happen, um, you know, is, is that is also restorative to me. Like, and we just get to kind of support each other and still Stay abreast of each other's endeavors, you know. Um, and then I just also feel like, in general, I, I feel like there's a moment we are in as playwrights, um, and especially those of us who feel like we come from like marginalized spaces, whatever, however you find yourself in the margins, because it could be via race, it could be via gender, via gender identity, you know, socioeconomically, it could be however you identify. Um, but I think we feel very excited when we collectively we have some space and some voice somewhere, you know? So we pay attention to each other uh, in that way. And I feel really, I feel really awesome to have like a vast and wonderful community of playwrights that I stay in touch with. That's, that, that's good. We're finding that a lot of playwrights have moved to Los Angeles for yeah. multiple reasons. I think that the, uh, the writing that's going on right now, particularly in television, is uh, so smart, so strong, um, so wide-ranging. Mm -hmm. There's so, so many um, um, 
avenues for, for that to be expressed now. Did you come out here knowing that you were going to be working? Were you hired to come out here, or did you come out here looking? No, I, I, I promised myself never to come to L.A. to look. <laughs> I said the <laughs> same thing. seems too hard. <laughs> yeah. seems too hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, New York's yeah. hard, yeah. so whatever. But no, I, I came out here because I had an opportunity. And, I, and, and you know, people that know this in TV know, it, the opportunity is, hi, I liked your thing on Friday. Can you start on Monday? Right. Yeah. You know, oh, can I just uproot my entire life in two days? Absolutely, yeah. sure. No problem, TV. Um, and that's what we do, you know. Uh, but I think that being at, and not, I think people do it because they want to, it's the thing you have to do to break in, you know? Um, but I don't think it's all economic driven. No. I totally agree. No, no, no. I don't uh, think you're going to get all these writers if it wasn't um, also artistically driven. Right. I totally agree. And I think yeah. that that's to everybody's benefit. Yeah. It's, uh, and one of the things clearly, uh, as someone who's only done theater in, in his life and his career, for everyone that's coming out here that are writers, actors, designers, directors that are of the theater um, but are practicing their craft in in other in other fields um, of entertainment Um, we certainly want to keep them close to the theater and so it's been uh, for me um, an unbelievable um, treat and treasure that we were able to bring you back inside the walls of a theater uh, and then put on this show and um, and do you feel like you get like all the writers that you know that are playwrights writing in television? Yeah, yeah. Is that sort of the same thing that they get to it, stay close? Yes, they they stay close. I think they, you know, people don't take a television course when they're in high school. They take yeah. a drama course. Yeah. Or they put on the high school play, and when they're introduced to this form of storytelling, it's usually through the theaters, their first experience with it, that inspires them. So it's uh, it's wonderful to be in in this town where there is such a great focus on television, film, music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to know that theater is a leg of that stool that's mm-hmm. an important leg, and that people can move fluidly uh, back and forth. So I'm uh, really happy you're here. It won't be the last time you're awesome. within these walls. Um, it'll make me very happy to have you back the next time. Awesome. I hope it's soon. Yeah, me too. Great. Me too. Thanks for this. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theatre Group podcast. You can find out more about our organization, programs, and upcoming productions on our website at centertheatergroup.org. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.